I was hoping today we could uh, we were going to show the uh, video we showed a video we showed last year for the NFL. You know the Super Bowl is tonight, and and last year we had the NFL's produced a testimony video, and um, but this year it was it, it was a couple of hundred bucks, and uh, so you you got to get the sermon today. So if 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 you prefer the NFL football, just give two hundred dollars and you can get the NFL football next year, and uh, rather than rather than me giving a sermon. But I, I pray for that ministry because it's a wonderful ministry and the testimony is nothing like a testimony that uh, brings people to Christ. And when we go to the when we go to the Bible, we see testimonies, and um, the testimony we've been looking at is the testimony of Nehemiah. And what a what a, a fantastic uh, testimony he has, and uh, of course you know you you can't just look at Nehemiah. You've got to look and see what Jesus has done, and and then of course how that relates to us as as believers in Christ. Amen. Let's just pray, and and then I believe God has, has a message for us today. But as Kelvin said, we are coming to this communion table today, and the purpose I pray that this message is to bring us to that place where we go, you know what? Boy, I'm so thankful for that that bread and for that cup that represents what Christ has done for me. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you just speak to us through your word, through your living word. Father, you've, you've been speaking to me, and I believe you've given me some direction here. And I just pray, Lord, that I can be still listening to your spirit as I speak. And that, Father, that... Um, what, what comes through my mouth would be used for your glory and, Father, would, would help us to realize just the distance there is between us and you without Christ and, uh, Lord, how much we need you and how much of a battle there is to maintain that relationship. But, Lord, because of you, we can maintain it and we can stay close to you. Speak to us about that today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been looking at the story in Nehemiah. And it's important to note today, what I want you to grab a hold of today, is the confidence that Nehemiah had because he knew that God's favor rested on him. No matter what difficulty, despite the great difficulties, And despite the persistent enemies, as he went through what God had called him to do, which was to restore and protect the city of Jerusalem, that he had great confidence because he knew that God's favor rested on him. The Bible tells us that in Nehemiah 2.20, the God of heaven, (coughs) Nehemiah 2.20, the God of heaven will give us success we, his servants, will start rebuilding. He also tells us in 2.18, Nehemiah 2.18, that he, he said, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me. So despite the great difficulties, despite the persistent enemies that we'll look at today, he was able to maintain focus. It also tells us in Nehemiah, the Lord God, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, 
will arise and build. Now, they're building a physical temple. But this is for us today where God says, we are his temple. And sometimes we're in shambles. Without him, we are. And he wants us to know that his favor, when we give our lives to him, his Holy Spirit is his favor upon us. And despite whatever difficulty you're going through, whatever persistent enemy you might have, knowing that you have his favor is going to get you through. It's going to get you through. And we take that bread and that cup at the close of this service as as an acknowledgement of what he did for us so so we can live for him and one day meet him face to face. That's that is not a wonderful thing. But between then and now, I mean between now and then, it's it, ooh, there's a battle. There's a battle. And Nehemiah, the testimony of Nehemiah, really, it, it's a type of battle and testimony that we may have ourselves. And I want us to just look at some of these things. And, and that I saw anyway, and I pray that you will see in this scripture. So despite knowing that he has the favor of God and that God is going to claiming, he's claiming that God is going to give him success and they begin the work, that inspires the enemy to go to work against Nehemiah. I I know I have given you this quote before. I can't remember when. But it's from old John Brown, from, who was, lived in 1722. That's a long time ago. But he says this, that every favor shown to the servants of God awakens the envy and rage of the demonic. So we have to know when God's favor is on us, and it is when we trust in him and receive his Holy Spirit, the demonic doesn't like it. And so then there's difficulties And then there's persistent enemies. And so it begins, it begins, we see it in Nehemiah, when they heard that he had come to start the building project. They heard he came. Right at the very beginning. Isn't that true? Did you read that with me last week too? Verse 10 of chapter 2. When Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it. They were deeply disturbed that a a man had come, that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Boy, so at the very beginning, they were disturbed. Now, I said last week to, to go and Google the names of these different characters. So there's different different descriptions. John Brown, in his commentary Bible, the John Brown from 1722, says that the name Sanballat means a secret bush or an enemy. That's what his name means. Now, some of the more recent commentators say that Sanballat means a sin. Sin gives life. Sin In brackets, the moon god gives life. Now, when you have a name like that, you know, in the Bible, names are important. Names mean something. 
So there's there's, there's Sanballat. Well, then you've got Tobiah working with Sanballat. You know what the name Tobiah means? The goodness of God. Now, isn't that interesting? That this mingled mixture of goodness and sin are working together to bring confusion against the rebuilding of Jerusalem. See, there's always, there's always like a confusion of goodness. But sin is right there with it. Later on, it, it didn't work when it first started, and this Sanballat and this Tobiah heard, they were deeply disturbed, and that he had come. And, but the building didn't stop. They went on and they built. But as, they, as they, heard, they had heard he came, now as the building goes on, they, heard, they hear that the building has actually started. It's actually now, now they've, they're disturbed, but now it's started, and now they're going to ratchet up. They're going to ratchet up the difficulty and the pers- being persistent as an enemy against this work. And you know what they did? You know what that persistence does? You know what it did? They started to mock and ridicule the workers. See, they first hear about it. I don't know. It's just like mentioned right in the, right in the middle of there, verse 10. But then he just went on and described the looking over the place and deciding what to do and what needs to be done. But then he came like, now it did, did get going. And the mocking and ridiculing of the workers, this Sanballat and Tobiah began to work together. Let us start the work, they said, and the work started, and then the mocking and the ridicule came. Now keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Because it doesn't stop there. Nehemiah did not stop working. He knew he had the favor of God upon him. He knew that God's gracious hand was upon him. And so they, were, they knew that God would give him success. He had it deep in his spirit. And so he was able to keep going. Well, then he kept going. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, if you look there, it says, But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And then Tobiah kicks in. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes upon it, he'll break down their stone wall. So they hear he came, and they were disturbed. They heard it started, and they mocked and ridiculed. They continued to mock. When they heard they were getting on with it, they became angry. They became greatly incensed. But the work kept going on. The work kept going on. Now, further along in, in, the, in the Nehemiah, when they heard that they were beginning to build this wall and they began to close the gaps, 
They began to close the gaps. Then, if you look down in, in chapter 7, I believe, chapter 4, verse 7. Now, when, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and I forgot to mention, by the way, that at the beginning was Sanballat and, um, and Tobiah, but they were joined later by Geshem, the Arab. The, and and the, the, word, the name Geshem means stranger, stranger there. So here you have three names, stranger, sin, and the goodness of God. All working to discourage the work. So 4.7 says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them, all of them now, conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. See, it begins with a couple of people. Then they add another one. Now they've got the army of Samaria and all these other ites, and they continue with their mocking, their ridiculing, and their attacks to create confusion to stop the work. Nehemiah keeps going. Your translation may say they plotted together. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Very angry. Boy, it just keeps building. Now, down in 6.1, Nehemiah 6.1, I know I'm jumping through this, but I won't focus in on these, this progress or this uh, escalation that comes against us of great difficulties and persistence by the enemy. It just escalates But Nehemiah keeps going. He keeps on building. He doesn't stop. Now, 6-1, they hear that the wall was actually rebuilt and there was not a gap left in it. And now what what was their strategy? You go home and read this. You know what they tried to do now? They tried to make him afraid. Now it's fear. They made up things. They invented stories that weren't real. Nehemiah looked at them and said, that's all in your head. You're just inventing stories. It's not real. And of course, you know, you can study this. He says, he didn't even have time. He didn't even give the time of day to go down and talk to these characters. Because the good hand of God was upon him. He knew that he was going to have success. He believed that God would prosper him. That's why they were building And the gracious hand was upon him. Now, one of the keys that I saw in there was that, yes, the walls were, the gaps were closed, the walls were built, but the gates had not, the gates had not been set, neither had the doors. So it still wasn't 100% protected. And now they're trying to make them fearful. Now, All right, so we say all that about Nehemiah. The testimony of Nehemiah, I want to suggest to you, is like the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Now think about this. When, when Jesus, when they heard, just like, just like when they heard that Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, and they were disturbed. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was born, that Herod was disturbed. And what did he do? He said, go out and look. And they ended up killing all the newborn babies. And Jesus, Jesus, you heard, and Joseph did, let's get to Egypt. Jesus, that's, Jesus came to give life to the world to give his life for us so that we could have life with him. And when the enemy starts to stir like that, when the enemy begins to know that this is going to happen, then they get disturbed, they get troubled, and Herod was troubled. And then Jesus, of course, living about his life here, he grows up and Then when he began his ministry, and he began to minister and bring healing to blind people, lame people, and the message of life to us that we can read about in the church, what happened? They, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, began to mock and ridicule him. Who is he? Who is this fellow? And so as you see it ratchet up against Nehemiah, Nehemiah, you begin as you study Scripture to see it ratchet up against Jesus. But Jesus, his face is set, like the Bible says, like flint, and he is set to go to Jerusalem, and he is going to go to that cross because he knows that God's hand is on him. And he keeps going. He keeps getting on with it. And the more he gets on with it, the angrier the opposition gets. The Bible tells us there was a plot to kill Jesus. Now, let me just give you some scriptures here, okay? You know these, but I think we need to hear them. The word of God is living and active, and it's going to speak to us and encourage us. Matthew 26, 1 says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Everybody's always wondered, when is this going to happen? He just announces it. Two days from now. That's what he gave them, two days' notice. And then the chief priests, verse 3, then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Your translation may not say the elders, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. And they plotted to take Jesus. How? By trickery. By trickery. Another, Another word for that is deception. And kill him. They wanted to stop this work. They wanted to stop this restoration that was about to happen when Jesus went to the cross. They were ratcheting it up from the very beginning when they were disturbed. And then they they mocked and ridiculed him. Kept chasing after him, plotting, planning. 
And they plotted to take Jesus by trickery, trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. They were a little afraid. Going down to verse 14 of that passage. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot. We all know about him, don't we? Now he goes to the chief priest and he says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Now here's a man that walked with Jesus for three years. Was he a stranger amongst them? Was he sin amongst the camp like Sanballat? But walking as if he had the goodness of God? Like, like Tobiah? What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Matthew 27, 1 says, When the morning came, all the chief priests and elders, all of them, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. They were going to crucify him. They were ratcheting it up. But God's favor was on him. He had set his face to go to Jerusalem. But God had anointed him to set the captives free. The blind eyes would be opened. He had that anointing. He knew he had God's favor. And he kept walking to the cross. We see more mocking. The soldiers mocked him in Matthew 27, 27. I think it's appropriate to read these verses because I'm thinking about the communion table and this isn't the kind of message that, you know, it's not one of those messages we smile and we laugh and we tell jokes about. It's a serious message. But there's a serious enemy trying to discourage us from having the life and the favor of God upon us and ultimately living in victory against all kinds of difficulties and persistent enemies. Matthew 27, 27. That's an easy way to remember this verse. 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governors took Jesus into the praetorium. Man, I've read this so, so many times, but I tell you, there's times when I've read this where it's just, you get this picture, and having been to Israel and been in this, where they believed this place was, and seeing how small of a place it was, and thinking of all these soldiers around Jesus, just all around him, just and, it, and, it, and mocking him. A whole garrison, it says, around him. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. This is Jesus. Listen, this, this pales in the sight of in, in Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah wasn't been putting a crown of thorns on his head and, a, and, and, and has been spat and mocked by a crowd of soldiers. But Jesus was. And now it really ratcheted up. And they spat on him. 
And they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Down in verse 39, it says this, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. People mocked him. They hurled insults at him. Chief priests, teachers of the Lord, and the elders, they all mocked him. Look at verse 41. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And even the robbers mocked him. But the favor of God was on him. He had the purpose. And he had the power to do it. Even the robbers, it says, verse 44, who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. Gosh. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We come to the communion table and we examine that table and think of these verses and think of this, what he did for us and how the mockery ratcheted up. Now, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what was I like before I came to Christ? What was I like when the message of Christ was being brought to me? What voices was I hearing in my head? What were the difficulties? What were the persistent enemies? And did I mock the message of Christ? Have I mocked the message of Christ since I've become a Christian? Have I believed some of the lies about Christian, the Christian faith? Well, I am going to say that I believe, and many of you I know, you've come to Christ, you've accepted Christ, does that mean that you, the enemies are all disappeared? No. Just like Scripture, it ratchets, it, it ratchets up its presence around you. When, they, when the enemy hears that you've come to Christ, he's disturbed. And when he hears that you started walking in the faith, maybe going to a Bible study to grow in your faith, a Sunday school class, meeting with somebody out for coffee, looking at Scripture, meeting in someone's home to grow in Christ and open up your Bible, you're going to hear a mocking voice. You're going to be ridiculed by your friends. But you've got to know that coming to Christ puts God's favor on you and fills you with him. Know that because it gives you confidence. You'll be able to say like Nehemiah did, he will prosper me in my faith, and I will stay strong despite the mockers. And now when the enemy hears you getting on with it, he's going to get after you even more so. No. Let's just lay this just for a few scriptures, and I hope you're all right with me doing this. I, this, is the, this is just my own wrestling with God. But I see this in the book of Galatians. I see this where the enemy, when he ratchets up, 
he's, he's like a serpent. The, the Bible talks about the wiles of the enemy, the steams of the devil. He steams. He, 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 he knows your weaknesses, and he comes at you in the ways that he might come at you different than he'll come at me. Or Because he knows my weakness, he knows your weakness, and he is a wily snake. Galatians 2.4 says this, Galatians 2.4, false brethren, false brethren, secretly brought in, and in brackets, depending on your translation, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. That is the enemy's work. That's what the enemy does. When, he, when you've come to Christ, you finally accepted him, and you're getting on with it, he's going to buy stealth. That's why we have the stealth bomber. You know, and you're all military here. You know that stealth bomber. It means it can't be seen with radar. And so these people come in under the radar. It's the enemy. The enemy. And in the church and in, the, in your ministry and in your faith is the goodness of God, but there's also sin, and it's right there trying to creep in and discourage you. But he says in here in Galatians that he says, to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, even for an hour. Oh, let that sink in. Don't let the lie of the enemy sink in even for an hour. I like to say five minutes, but sometimes when the enemy comes in, you don't know it because it's by stealth. It's not till after about a half an hour or 45 minutes, then you realize you've just been overcome. He snuck in, and all of a sudden, there you are. And before you go down, you have to say, Jesus is going to lift me up because his favor is on me. So not even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Oh, I want to speak that into you, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Galatians 3.1, he goes on and he talks more about this stuff, but in Galatians 3.1, he says, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, what would, how would you feel if I said that? Oh, you foolish Calvary Alliance people. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, I think I've just clearly portrayed Jesus Christ as crucified to you. Now, how foolish are you going to be and not follow him? I say that my heart starts beating. And I hope I say it in love. Galatians 5.1. Oh, hear this. Let this speak into your spirit. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again in a yoke of slavery or bondage. Jesus comes to set you free. And when, he, when, the, when the enemy hears that he's coming into your life, he ratchets up and ratchets up, and then, you, then you're here to, in church today, so he's ratcheting it up a little bit more because he's going to get you not to come next Sunday. That's his goal, get you out of the fellowship, out of church altogether, back into the old life, is a lying serpent. And all the while, God has a free, the freedom in Christ that is so awesome, 
when you begin to experience it, it is a peace that is beyond all understanding. It is a love that is never-ending. It is a grace that you cannot earn or buy, and there's no end to it. Now, in case you think that was just Galatians, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, but there were, also, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. The enemy is wily, and he works and works and works, and the closer you get to God, it's like the refiner's fire that just gets hotter and hotter and hotter and begins to, re begin to reveal things in you that aren't holy and pure. And the enemy says, see, you're not holy and pure. But God says, I see that you're not holy and pure, and I am going to deliver you of that. Stay strong, because my favor's on you. The enemy doesn't want the message of Christ. He doesn't want Christianity being spoken. He doesn't want the freedom of speech in Christianity. We're living that right now, aren't we, in this country? You know, I, I, just, I just encourage you to Google an, an article, a blog by a, a British guy, but he's, from, he's in Australia now, on Franklin Graham, and read up on his recent cancellation of his trip to the UK. They have canceled Franklin Graham's trip to the United Kingdom. You know Why? because they're afraid of what Franklin Graham might say. They don't want the message that marriage is between one man and one woman. It will affect the unity of the city. They don't want the message about abortion. They don't want the message that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father but through him. Lying spirits are at work to discourage the message of the gospel. Believe me, I have to stay in prayer and stay on my knees and stay in the word. Otherwise, I can get so discouraged, so overcome, and so afraid of preaching the truth of Christ. And what will keep us strong is knowing that God, the God of heaven, will give us success. By success, I mean we'll see salvations happen and we'll see growth. We won't see so many people falling away. We'll see people pressing in. We will be confident, just like Nehemiah, because the gracious hand of God will be upon us, is upon us. And despite any great difficulties, despite any persistent enemies, we will know that Jesus, Jesus has our back. I was going to use my phone and read a few comments out of the of Franklin Graham's, but you can read that yourself. But it's something interesting. They say an interesting term in there. They, they talk about the cancellation of this UK tour is what they're calling a seminal moment, a seminal moment. Google that. And a seminal moment is how they describe it as this. When a new idea or concept is sowed and results in the growth of that concept in the future. 
Now, you have to go read the article, and it's an interesting article because in there it also quotes A.W. Tozer, who 65 years ago addresses this same kind of thing going on. Nothing new under the sun. We have a fantastic message. We have messengers in the Bible like Nehemiah that we can study and we'll see how they had to fight through, see how they came through, see how they completed, while at the same time, the enemy is constantly there ratcheting things up. We can run into the New Testament. It's all the same. It's all the gospel of God. And we can see Jesus, how he came, and they were disturbed. And then they were mocking him. Then they were, they, they were jealous of him. They were fearful of him. And they crucified him. But God says, I want the people redeemed. And that's my focus. And Jesus went to the cross. And Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus lives today. And he intercedes for me. And he intercedes for you. And he says he is Lord. Is he your Lord? Do you know that when you give your life to him, that his favor is now yours? That's what we celebrate when we come to this table. His favor is ours. Now, as Calvin prayed at the beginning, we're to examine ourselves. Now, when you examine yourselves, as you come to the table, recognize two concurrent streams coming at you. One, a lying spirit that says you cannot take communion, because of your lifestyle, because of your spiritual, because of your thought life, because of what you've been doing, because of your hopelessness that you feel. And another spirit that's at work, which is the Holy Spirit saying, Jesus saves, Jesus forgives, and this is what this is about. Now confess those things as a weakness in your life and then claim Jesus to overcome that. And he will. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray uh, as we come to the communion table, we'd recognize the amazing gift you've given us to do this in remembrance of you, to take that bread in our hands and recognize that you your body was broken on that cross, that you gave your body, your life, that the cup represents your blood that was shed, and there is power in the blood. There is deep cleansing power in the blood. And I pray for each of us here today, including myself, I, we pray against the enemy that would want to distract us, discourage us, and deter us from taking that bread in the cup, but through you and what you've done for us, and as we examine ourselves and confess our sin, we can take freely. And we receive your bread, we receive your cup as your favor. And with that favor, we can live with such more confidence. We will know we will have success in our Christian life. And because your gracious hand is upon us, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.